Charisma Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Taylor Berglund, and today I am pleased to welcome Paul Young. Paul, how are you doing today? Everything that matters is good. That is fantastic. I love, love that attitude. So you're the author of The Shack, Crossroads, Eve, and the new book, Lies We Believe About God. Uh, so I guess one thing that I'm really excited about, and I have to imagine you're excited about too, is uh, your book, The Shack, is in the process of becoming a major film, right? Um, it is completely done, and it's just about to launch. So uh, I think the process is pretty much over, and um, now we just get to release it to the world. That's got to be really exciting. So, I mean, just just think about The Shack a little bit. Um, can you explain a little bit about the story behind when you wrote and published that book? Um, and did you ever expect it to become as much of a bestseller and as popular as it is now? As soon as I tell you uh, what the genesis was for The Shack, you'll, you'll realize I have no clue, none whatsoever. And uh, so I, I, I've been a writer my whole life. I come from... Um, an uh, evangelical, modern evangelical fundamentalist upbringing. I was a missionary kid uh, in New Guinea and um, um, just grew up in the church. My father was a, a pastor after that. And um, so I, I had a lot of work that I needed to, to do as far as my own heart. And been a writer. Writing for me when I was growing up was a way to get uh, my inside world out. And I learned to write by reading just what was available. So a lot of the classics and and some of the best writers who've ever lived, I think. And um, over time, I started to, get, to write to give gifts to friends and family. So poetry and songs and short stories, just, you know, what anybody does. And when you do that, your friends and family, you know, think it's great because they love you. And um, it's, it's like getting a little gift from a child, you know, a little painting <laughs> or something is like the, the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And, um, but for about five years, my wife Kim had been saying, you know, someday as a gift for our kids, would you just write something that puts in one place how you think, because you think outside the box. And the year I turned 50, I felt finally healthy enough as a human being to do this. And we have six children. Our youngest at that time was 13. And I was working three jobs. I had 40 minutes each way to my main job on the commuter train. And uh, I had nothing for Christmas to give them. We were um, pretty strapped, living in a little 900-square-foot rental house. Kim got a job at the high, high school bakery a couple blocks away. And on the train, mostly on the train, I wrote a story to get it done for Christmas. At Christmas, I made 15 copies at Office Depot. Six went to the kids. Kim got a copy, and the rest went to my friends. And I went back to work. Not one time did it cross my mind to publish it. But it was when my friends started giving it to their friends, and that started a whole chain reaction that has ended up with this really unexpected presence in the world and in the conversation about loss and pain and suffering of God. Yeah, so then going from that tiny little 15-copy self-published book, um, can you track how it got from there to becoming a major Hollywood picture? So... When my friends started giving it away, we actually put together a little collection, made 15 more copies at Office Depot with a little spiral-bound side and plastic cover. And, uh, and the manuscript uh, started to have this repercussion. I started to get emails from people that I didn't know. And, and these emails were not like, oh, you know, 
John sent me a copy of, of your manuscript, and I think it's pretty cool. No, these were like, let me tell you how this little story that our friend sent to us has landed in the middle of our great sadness, and then they would just pour out a story. Well, I'm like, what do you do with this? And I had happened to meet a real author, you know, somebody who does this on purpose. And um, I was his driver for about six hours one day. His name's Wayne. So uh, I just sent it to Wayne and said, look, <clears throat> I'm getting these emails, and I don't, I don't understand how, what do you do? You're an author. What, what do you do when you get these emails? And, and um, he thought, you know, that I was sending it so that he would read it and stuff, and that's, that's not why I originally sent it. So he said, well, I'll, I'll take a look at it maybe in six months. I said, oh, you know, it doesn't matter to me. I had no expectations. Those first 15 copies had already done everything I ever wanted that book to do. So this was like, okay, I don't know how to do this. And um, a couple of days later, he called me on the phone, which is not, I mean, we just were usually email back and forth occasionally. And he calls me and he said, what were you thinking sending me that manuscript? I went, what? Um, just throw it out. <laughs> I have enough shame history that when somebody raises their voice, I think it's got to be my fault. And um, so uh, he says, no, no, I, I can't print the pages fast enough. He said, I, co- I don't remember reading something in years where my first response is, I've got friends I need to send this to right now. And I said, well, you can send it to whoever you want. And he said, well, I already did. Well, two of his friends and he, uh, his friends Bobby Downs and Brad Cummings, and now Wayne Jacobson, the three of them, uh, had gotten into a conversation about the manuscript, and right from the get-go, it was about a movie. It was about creating a movie, and that's how their conversation started with me. And in the middle of that conversation, it was decided that a good way to go was to actually get it in print. So spent the next 16 months working on rewrites, because um, I'm working three jobs, and um, we got it ready, sent it to 26 publishers who all turned it down, and so Brad and Wayne, two of the guys, created uh, a publishing company uh, that they still own and just to publish The Shack. And we found a local printer. Brad volunteered to ship books out of his house at night because he's putting in people's sprinkler systems into their yards during the day. And we ordered 10,000 copies. I had a buddy who loaned me some money. One of the guys had savings. The other one had a Visa and a MasterCard. And... In May of 2007, 11,000, because they always tend to send an extra 10% and charge you for them, um, 11,000 copies landed in Brad's garage. And we set up a website. And here's the, here's the crazy timing, grace, God thing about this whole deal. In the first 13 months, from May of 07 to the end of June of 08, um, we spent less than $300 in marketing and advertising and shipped almost 1.1 million copies of the shack. Wow. And that's in, that I know that's wow. And for people who don't know the average book sells between three and 5,000 copies its entire existence. If you, if you can write a novel and, and write 70, you know, 7,500 on it, you can sell 7,500. You have a bestseller. And, um, it's, it's nuts. Well, then they entered, uh, windblown, the Brad and Wayne entered a joint venture with a who took the book internationally, and then it really blew up. But uh, So it's been a phenomenon, unexpected. And now, you know, eventually they've gotten to work uh, putting together a relationship with Lionsgate and Gil Netter and Lonnie Netter 
and Stuart Hazeldean, the director, was brought on board, and uh, and I got invited to sort of stand on the sidelines and look at the script and and uh, talk about the actors and be on set and be in a cameo, which is pretty outstanding, um, even though it's like two seconds long. And uh, but but still, my kids think it's great, you know. Um, and to see post-production stuff and now to watch it uh, in screenings. And it's so fantastic. It is a fantastic, powerful film. I was going to say, we have, a lot of, we have a lot of listeners who are huge fans of the book, and I'm sure they're wondering, is the movie a fairly straightforward, true rendition of the original book, or is it a very changed to adapt to film? It's one of the best book-to-film adaptations I've ever seen. I, I don't think anybody who loved the book will be disappointed by the movie. That's fantastic. Um, and I know that you said you've had a lot of people just email you, say how much they love the book. Um, and I also know that there's been a, uh, a small but sometimes very vocal minority who have, who have disagreed with some of the theology of the book. Um, do you think yeah, God... Those, those are my people. Yeah, those are my people. <laughs> right? I, I'm almost to a person, a modern evangelical fundamentalist. So I know them, and so be careful how you talk about them. Those are my people. <laughs> but do you think that God has used uh, maybe some of that controversy that's come there to reach even more people with the message of the book? Oh, no doubt. I mean, um, I have a brother in the faith who stood up and, and publicly banned the book, and it went viral on the Internet. And I think he sold me more copies of the book than pretty much anybody else. <laughs> And, uh, I, you know, it's, it's this funny thing. I have a friend who says that uh, smoke, even from a distance, draws attention. <laughs> and, and it's just one of those things that I think the Holy Spirit just played inside. Um, and, and in our own lives, how, how many changes have we really made toward becoming more authentic when things were just going great? You know, it's usually when there's some sort of challenge, when something is confronting us, when we're in a relationship that won't let us get away with stuff. You know, that's when we're uncomfortable enough to begin to look at the way we do things and think um, with a, a view to possibly change. And um, and so I, I think the shack has played um, a small but significant role in a conversation that needed to happen. It gave people a language to have a conversation about God that wasn't religious, and it was relational. And at the same time, it valued the human story. I think that's why the book is so powerful. It is so human. The questions are so human, and you'll see that played out on the screen. So when you were putting together the book then, what gave you the idea for especially the storyline involving the youngest daughter in the book? Uh, That comes from two different streams. Um, When Kim and I were early married, uh, about a year and a half, we had our firstborn son. Her, her mom went into the hospital for a routine surgery and had a massive coronary and over the course of about three days passed away. She was 59. Well, three months before that, my 18-year-old brother was killed. And three months after that, my five-year-old niece was killed the day after her fifth birthday. So in six months, we had these three massive shock losses. And um, so we know about loss. And to me, the loss between a parent and a child um, is the greatest loss a human being can experience. And, uh, and, and one, uh, not coincidentally, that God the Father knows um, because of the loss in terms of his son. So uh, it is something that is, you know, to the core of our being. 
The book also has another thread, and a writer from Nashville probably put it the best. Her name's Leanne Stewart, and she wrote me after the book first launched, and uh, she was one of the early readers, and she wrote me a note that said, I have no idea who you are, don't know anything about you, but my sense is that Missy, the main character's daughter, um, my sense is that Missy is something murdered in you as a child, probably your innocence, and Mackenzie is you as the adult trying to deal with it. And I showed that to Kim, and she said, boy, she nailed it. Because part of my great sadness is not just a difficult relationship with my dad, but um, sexual abuse, both in the tribal culture and then in missionary boarding school. And, and if there's anything that destroys the heart or uh, rips apart the fabric of a human soul, especially a child, it's, it's sexual abuse. Um, and so that's... Missy is... is that child whose innocence was stolen, who was murdered in that sense. And, I mean, it took me all of 50 years to work through that. That was part of the heritage and the baggage that I brought into every relationship, into my marriage and all that. And, it ha- and, it, and so Mackenzie's weekend represents um, 11 years for me of deconstruction and reconstruction. So, yeah, there's a lot to that. And by the way, Mackenzie Allen Phillips, Melissa Ann Phillips, on purpose, both uh, are acronyms for MAP. You know, they're both MAPs, uh, different experiences, uh, but we can look at their lives and go like, there is something here that we need to talk about. I really enjoy the rawness of just you exploring it here, and I think that's something that people were drawn to a lot in the book is the rawness, the reality of the feelings, especially when, um, as you know, just from the church a lot of times, um, grief or sadness is not something that we bring up a lot or that we deal with a lot of times in the church. Yeah. And And not just the church. I don't think the Western culture does it very well. We don't lament and we don't grieve well. And we've learned to stuff and become rationalists and all this stuff. And the church exemplified that. Um, And I think partly because some of our theology has pushed us into performance orientation and we're supposed to be strong and hide and to, to be emotional is to be weak and not trusting and all that, rather than no, are you kidding? Look at Jesus. He's, a, he's an emotional human being. And uh, he weeps. He, he gets irritated. Uh, uh, he, gets, he sweats. He, he sleeps. He gets hungry. I mean, this, this is God in human flesh, and it's a high view of humanity. And we've got to start celebrating our humanity enough to grieve, enough to, uh, that we know that our tears matter, which I think is what, what you're talking about and what the shack also did. Yeah, definitely. So whether readers are coming to this book for the first time, uh, maybe just as a result of listening to this interview, or they're watching the movie that's coming out and whole new audiences are seeing it, what do you hope that people are able to take away from the story of The Shack? Um, You know, I love the question. Um, My answer is no one thing, because I want this to be about the reader or about the watcher or about the listener. I want that person to have an encounter inside their world. And I think when art is good and not propaganda, it's not driving you toward an objective. It is opening up space so that you can hear for yourself. And I think the book does that. I think the movie does that in a profound way. Some people, it's going to be an affirmation of their, of their faith or their struggle. Some, it's going to be a confrontation about their judgmentalism about their inability to make the choice to forgive. 
I mean, it's just going to come from so many different areas. But I want that every person to hear for themselves something that matters to them, something that communicates you're not alone, you matter, and what you're going through matters. And, um, and maybe we need to make some changes. Maybe there is a way forward. And um, so that, that's sort of the, the framework in which I want people to experience the book and the, and the movie. That's fantastic. And then on a completely on a completely different note, then you also have the book Lies We Believe About God coming out soon. Can you talk me through a yeah. little bit of what inspired you to write about that? It started with some tweets that I did, and they were called Words You'll Never Hear God Say, which <laughs> is just looking at the at the negative space, because a, a lot of times <clears throat> we as religious people are always about the positive space. And it's like, no, what would God never say? You know, and, there, and I had a list of them. Well, those turned into an exploration of the underlying lies. And so what the shack does, it, um, it explores some of our assumptions about God. Well, in lies we believe about God, I go deeper into some of those ideas. And, um, and hopefully inside that exploration, it's an invitation, a compelling conversation uh, about things that matter to us because we are impacted by our assumptions, and this allows us to explore. Like, you know, that God supports my religion, or everyone is not a child of God, or hell is separation. I mean, there's 28 of these different lies we get to explore. And, um, and as a result, and it's not trying to give you final answers. It's saying, like, these are good questions, and here's a perspective. Let's get involved in the conversation. So if people go see The Shack and they really enjoy it, they can really dive deeper into some of the, some of the topics and some of the themes with lies we believe about God. Absolutely. It's nice Absolutely. how that works out that way. It, it is, and, and the timing of it just was, you know, God's sense of humor as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> like all of this. You know, I made the 15 copies, or did everything I wanted it to do. This is all God's grace and humor. Well, I know you mentioned earlier uh, your Twitter account and tweeting some things that uh, inspired the book Lies We Believe About God. Uh, where can people re- find you on social media if they want to keep up with what you're doing? Sure. They can go to WM Paul Young. WM stands for William. And I am William Paul Young, but I'm one of four generations of Williams. None of who go by William. <laughs> we all go by our middle names. But <clears throat> the website is WM Paul Young, and then that'll cook. Uh, that'll. <clears throat> sorry. I'll do that again. All right. Um, go to WM Paul Young, and that'll connect you to Facebook and Twitter and all that social media stuff. And uh, you, you're tr- very invited to join the conversation. We'd love to have you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Would you mind praying us out? That'd be great. So, Holy Spirit, thank you for this day. This one day's grace, not tomorrow's future tripping imagination, but just this day. And we thank you that you are with us in this real day. Help us and teach us to learn how to stay inside your relentless affection and inside this day's grace. To the praise of your glory. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Paul Young on Charisma Connection here on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Taylor Berglund, and thanks for joining us. An experience so vivid, it's like being there. The Breathe Audio Bible takes you on a journey. Performed by leading actors such as Kevin Sorbo, John Rhys-Davies, Josh Lucas, and Jesse McCartney, you will be transported into the world of the Bible. 
You can get a free download of the Gospel of Mark at breathebible.com. That's breathebible.com. And now, back to the show. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.